Well, today we had uh, 19 people who participated uh, in our uh, small group walk across the room experience that was upstairs, and we were excited about that. And over the next four weeks, what we're going to try to do is that we're going to hopefully radically change your understanding of a scary word for many of us, and that is the word evangelism. Now, truth be told, both non-Christians and Christians hate evangelism. They don't like to talk about it. They don't like to receive it. In fact, I found a quote this week that talks about uh, the concept of this, and this is what the quote says. For most Christians, doing evangelism is a lot like going to the dentist. No one really enjoys doing it, but it has to be done every once in a while. And that's the truth. None of us like going to the dentist, just like it's very difficult for us to be able to share our faith. For many of us, when we think of the word evangelism, we think of an evangelist, and we think of someone who stands behind a big kind of oak pulpit and is sweating profusely, and they're a big man, and they're beating down on this thing, and they're yelling at you, and they're screaming at you, and they're saying something like this, you put on your shoes this morning, but if you don't turn to Jesus, the undertaker will take them off tonight. And everyone's like, I'm ready to sign up for the Jesus thing, you know? It's like this turn or burn kind of mentality. Now, if you've ever experienced uh, that kind of evangelism strategy before, where someone gets into your face and they're like, you need Jesus, and I'm here to convert you, you know? that if that's what your image of evangelism is, I just want you to take a deep breath and relax. Because that's not what we're going to be talking about. In fact, as we talk about evangelism and as we explore that, we're going to realize that it doesn't involve any formulas, it doesn't involve any quizzes, no tests, no memorization of scripture, no scripts that you have to know. But what I want to talk to you about is as simple as walking across a room. At the age of 28, just two years ago, not that funny. Um, I looked and kind of did a, a spiritual evaluation of my life. I had uh, pastored for a church for about five years. It was a, a small a little country church, and we had seen a lot of growth from about 60 people to 120. And I was a fairly good communicator and kind of had led this church and I was working on my master's degree at Anderson University on how to be able to do church better. But when I looked at all of the friends that were around me, they were all Christian. I mean, even their dogs were Christian, you know? It just oozed out everywhere I was at. And I sensed that God was telling me, I didn't call you 
to create a huddle-cuddle church where everyone huddles together and cuddles and they're all inward-focused. But I really have called you, Chris, to reach out to those who don't know me, who are disconnected, who have given up on the church model, and to really try to understand them. And so I went to a conference um, at Willow Creek Community Church, which is up outside of Chicago. It's one of the largest churches in the U.S. And Bill Hybels, who's the senior pastor, had just wrote a book called Just Walk Across the Room. And I remember sitting in this conference, and Bill said these words. And these are all pastors. He said, when are you going to get off your butts and walk across rooms and reach out to people who aren't already in your church? And of course, everyone stood up and gave a standing ovation. No! Because we were all pastors. We were convicted that so many of us had become so focused on what happens on the inside that we weren't looking outside ourselves. And so I came back home and I was all fired up and I'm like, you know what, when I start this church called The Jar, we're going to be different. And I'm going to do it by example. I'm going to be the first one to kind of show this. I'm going to make sure that my neighborhood, all of them, come to Christ. And so I got back home, and within one day, you know what I did? I curled up on my couch, barricaded myself into the house, and then I started whining to God. God, why are you wanting me to do this hard thing of starting a brand new church? I don't even know anybody. Any of you have the God wine before? And one day, I was looking outside my window when all of a sudden I felt a prompting. Now, it wasn't audible, but just in my spirit it said, take your trash out to the road. And I thought, well, i got to go get all the other, you know, trash baskets in all the other rooms and I'll get all them, bring them to the kitchen. You know, I was planning what to do. And again, it just said, take your trash out to the road. So I go out to uh, our green tote container that Muncie's known for, where we put our trash. And there's no trash in it, folks. But I go ahead and I roll it out to the edge of the road. And about that time, my neighbor was walking down with his trash out there too. And I kind of reached out and I said, hey, uh, I know you moved in here recently, and my name's Chris. He said, hey, my name's Phil, and we started connecting. And over the next year, uh, Phil and I started going to Muncie Central. If you're a Southside fan, sorry. But we started going to Muncie Central uh, basketball games, football games, and uh, we connected that way. And we did some uh, house projects together. Basically, he came over and fixed all the things broken in my house. <laughs> and I watched him. And um, we, we shoveled our, our driveways together when snow came. And I just built a friendship with him. And eventually, he kind of opened up and he started sharing to me about this painful divorce that he had just gone through. And he had just been remarried, but he had not gotten over that divorce. And he said, when I went through that, I just kind of drifted away from the church and I drifted away from Christ. 
And I remember saying, but you know, it doesn't take much to drift back. He's like, yeah, I know. And then one of the first things that we did when we started the JAR was we had a mission trip to Tijuana, Mexico. We did it with all people who were far from God. And I went and I asked my neighbor, Phil, and he said, yeah, he said, I'll do that. And uh, he went. And uh, came back, had a great time, and then we started the JAR in my house with six people, and Phil was one of them, and I invited him to come, and we kind of did that. And he grew closer and closer to God. And uh, he's still a part of this community today. But I just want you to know, folks, it all started with just a small walk. A walk across a driveway to introduce myself to him. You know, folks, when people ask this question, what is the single greatest gift you can give to someone? The answer really is this that you introduce them to the God who created them, who loves them, and has a purpose for their life. The greatest gift that you can give to anyone is that right there. I mean, nothing beats introducing people to the God who knows them best and who loves them most. Not monetary gain, Not an award, not recognition, not promotion, not other opportunities. Nothing beats the fact of introducing someone to the one who created them. Because when you boil it all down, folks, evangelism is not some overweight, big, mean, nasty guy pounding on a pulpit saying, turn or burn. But it's really about ordinary people saying, I'm willing to take a walk across a factory floor or my office lunch break room or the street to introduce myself to a neighbor. It's not about evangelism tracks that they hide in, you know, the uh, restrooms so that you can see that or the million-dollar bill that's down on the ground. But it's really about introducing people by walking across rooms to the one who knows them and who loves them most. It's not about how many scriptures you can memorize. It's not about uh, how long you've even been to church. But it's simply about people taking regularly, uh, regular walks across factory floors and office uh, break rooms and driveways. And then sharing with that person the single greatest gift that we know, Jesus himself. Now the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we share that single greatest gift? Well, the first thing is this. You have to be willing to leave your circle of comfort and enter into the zone of the unknown. You have to leave your circle of comfort and enter into the zone of the unknown. Now, I'd like to kind of visibly show this uh, this morning, and so I need five volunteers. Don't let me hunt you out. So I, you won't have to speak. You won't have to say anything. I just need five people. So one, two, okay, that's three, four, five. There you go. Come on up. Let's give them a hand. 
Okay. Can I have you over there by yourself? Sure. Okay. And you can stand on the stage. Okay, you four are going to be right here. So stand on the stage. Okay. Good representation. Come on. There you go. Okay. Now, any of you uh, probably have experienced this before, but uh, you come to a social setting. Maybe it's a party. Uh, Maybe it's a neighborhood get-together. Maybe it's a family get-together, whatever. But there are people that you know and people that you don't know. And typically, we gravitate towards which? People you know, right? And so these four people here, they know each other, okay? So let's, like, get in a circle because that's what happens, you know? Yeah, oh, look at that. They're hugging. They're loving each other. Look at that. That's That's a wonderful thing. So there's four of them that are over here, and they are in their circle. Don't stop. They're in their circle of comfort, okay? They feel good and comfortable in their setting. And uh, it's very easy. They don't feel threatened. They don't feel awkward. They don't feel anything. They feel good because they know each other. See, they're smiling. They're just, you know, enjoying them. Now, how many of you have ever been in a circle of comfort before with people that you know and you're connecting with them? How many have ever been in a circle like that? That's like everybody, okay? And so everyone's been there before. And all of a sudden, though, you experience this kind of thing that you see someone across the room that you don't... No, not all of you. You just you stay that way. <laughs> now, Matthew, you're going to be the person. Matthew looks over and he sees someone that he doesn't know. But he thinks to himself, you know what? I hate the fact that Becky is over here standing by herself. And you think to yourself, you're in this circle, and Matthew's looking, and he's thinking, this is Matthew, by the way, and he's looking, and he's wondering, you know, maybe she needs a word of encouragement. Maybe she just needs to feel like, hey, you're not here by yourself. Um, Maybe there's some way that, that he could reach out to her in some way. And when you hit that point, and we've all been there before, we're in the group that we feel good about, um, what will we do? You know, most of my adult life, folks, to be quite honest, I have stayed in this circle. Because it's easier. You don't have to take a risk. No one has to uh, think you're weird. Or you don't have to come up with anything to say. And so we stay there. Because over here, folks, it feels great. It feels wonderful. It's walking across the room or your workplace to go connect with someone that you don't know so well. That becomes the hard thing. This zone of the unknown. Because if you do that, that's risky. That's scary. It might be awkward. You may not know what to say. They may not know what to say. It could be very weird. But let's just say that Matthew feels this prompting, and he actually says, hey, guys, I'm leaving. And Matthew, if you would, start, walk, start walking across. And yet, it, it's very powerful for you guys to see this. He leaves his comfort, and he walks over. Now, don't walk away. Okay, we need a new volunteer. Someone, no, I'm but he leaves his comfort, and he just reaches out his hand maybe and says, Hey, my name's Matthew. What's your name? 
And you guys, this is very elementary, and some of you are sitting there going, I got up early today for that. (laughs) But I'm telling you the dead honest truth right now, that that is the hardest thing for a human being to do. To leave your comfort zone and to go into the zone of the unknown. And yet, it is the essence of what Jesus Christ came to do and what he wants us to do. Let's give our volunteers a hand. You know, when I'm connected with Jesus, when there is an openness to his spirit in my life, when I'm in the circle of comfort that I'm at, but I'm connected to him, I'm so much more willing to walk across rooms and connect with people who are disconnected from him. And sometimes, by God's grace, I do that. And I walk across. And sometimes I don't. I know what it's like to be anxious. I know what it's like to be like, you know, what are they going to think about me? I know what it's like to reach out my hand and really not know if they're going to reach theirs out and say, hey, my name's Chris, what's your name? Why are you at this event today? But this is what I've also learned, folks. I've also learned the power of what it looks like to leave your comfort zone and to go into the zone of the unknown and see a person's life open up to spiritual things like you could never believe would have happened if you would have never taken that walk. You see, that's where the power is, folks. The power is when you leave your comfort zone and you go into the zone of the unknown. And then you watch someone who becomes open to spiritual things. Well, today I'm really excited to... uh, have two of my friends, Jamie Manship and uh, Sarah Jones, to come up and to talk about how the zone of the unknown impacted both of their lives. Let's give them a hand. Sarah and Jamie, thank you so much for being willing to share your story uh, today. And uh, why don't you put that down just a little bit so people can see your face. There. And you're among friends here, so this is not something to uh, be nervous about or uh, anything like that. Um, You guys both kind of had your lives impacted by basically experiencing what this was like. And so, Sarah, I thought um, maybe you could go first and just share uh, what that felt like when you were in your circle of comfort and you walked across uh, to meet Jamie for the first time. I met Jamie when I... On helps. Sorry. I met Jamie when I started working at University Catering in 2003. We worked together a lot, um, We didn't really talk about much except work. At that time, I was disconnected from Christ and the church had been for a long time, even though I had accepted Christ 
when I was younger. Um, priorities in my life were partying and being late to work. So, In January of 2009, God touched my life and my husband's life. Um, we started coming to the jar. We were growing, changing. We even got baptized. Um, God had began to heal a lot of aspects of my life. I remember you talking about getting out of your comfort zone and reaching out to others, and I felt that Jamie was the person that God had placed on my heart to show his love to. Okay. And uh, so that happens. And so, Sarah, what did you do? Um, At first, I started praying for her. She was my 111 person. Then one day at work, I was talking to her, and I decided to trust God's prompting um, to step out of my comfort zone. And I kind of walked over and started to talk to her about him. Um, She had seen changes in me and in my life since I'd started going to church, and I could tell she was intrigued, but she wasn't quite buying into the Jesus bit. She'd say, aw, Sarah, you're so cute. But I just kept praying for her and telling her about the cool things that God was doing in my life. We built more of a friendship, and I started bringing her CDs of your teachings. I figured if I'm sure that really impacted her life at that uh, point. Well, I thought so, but uh, I figured if I couldn't get her to church, I would bring church to her. So she was a tough nut to crack, though. She was angry and cussed like a sailor. So each time I would get close, she would push me back. Um, I knew that she believed in God, but I could tell that she didn't think that she deserved his love because of her imperfections. Um, But I knew better than that. If he could love and forgive me, then I knew he could love and forgive anybody. Okay, so you uh, kind of get connected at the workplace. Um, you kind of slowly introduce her to yourself and to this God who's changed your life. And Jamie, what did you think of Sarah? What was your first kind of thought when she walked across the room or connected with you at work? Well, I always felt a connection to Sarah. Um, but I had always known her as the party girl type and all of that. Um, So when she started talking about God, I was really skeptical. Um, But I had begun to see a change in Sarah, tranquility that wasn't there before. Um, Then I started finding CDs in my mailbox at work. And I thought, oh my goodness, Sarah's bringing me Jesus CDs. Um, so I would take them and I would pass them off to other people and I would say, here, you'll really like this. You need to listen to this thinking there's nothing I need to listen to on that CD. Um, nothing that's going to change my life, but still the change I had seen in Sarah, um, left a lasting impression. But like I had pushed off Sarah's CDs, I had pushed her away too. Um, and so you kind of. You're pushing away from God, and you kind of push away from Sarah, but Sarah's kind of a difficult person to push away. Um, that's a compliment. And uh, so what? how did that work, pushing her away? Well, not too well, obviously. Um, I really liked Sarah, and I didn't want to avoid her at work. Um, but still, it was just that whole topic with me really made me feel insecure. Um, and it was just something that I was really nervous about. And I would think, oh, Sarah's going to talk to me about church. Um, But she wasn't, like, trying to drag me, saying, come on, let's go, let's go to church. She would just mention it to me and show me the things and tell me the things that she had done in her life um, that had changed and tell me that, you know, he could help me with my life. 
and change some things for my life too. Um, but my divorce, um, sorry, my divorce was still really raw, um, and it was really hard. But she would keep inviting me and keep inviting me. And so I came, and I even helped with a few outreaches. But believe it or not, <laughs> your teachings aren't too bad. Um, <laughs> Did everyone hear that? Um, <laughs> so I would listen, and I would feel like you knew I was the biggest sinner in the world. And sitting in that chair, the guilt that I felt um, was very overwhelming. And it wasn't too long before I made excuses not to come, um, whether they were true or not. Okay, so Sarah, what kind of happened next? I mean, you leave the comfort zone to go into the zone of the unknown. You build up a friendship with Jamie. She comes to church for a few times, and then what? Um, A year or so passed, and I had actually quit Ball State, um, but Jamie and I were still friends. Uh, I didn't push the God card very much. I just kept praying for her um, and trying to show her God's love whenever I had a chance. I would still invite her to stuff and Every once in a while, I still brought her a CD, but most of all, I just tried to let her know that I was here for her. Um, And then one day, I invited her again, and to my amazement, she agreed again. Okay. And uh, so that happens. And, uh, Jamie, what what made you decide to give the church thing another chance? I mean, you know, it kind of wasn't really that. It really was my teaching, right? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Not really. Um, it was it was Sarah. Um, she just continued to love me no matter what. Although I was wearing this mask on the outside, she knew that God really wanted to do something really cool on the inside. And she knew that I had the desire for that change. Um, plus, I had decided that I was really tired of carrying all the resentment and the bitterness from my ex-husband and other people. Um, So it was probably about that time that I picked a Bible up from the back and um, started thumbing through it. And it just so happened, um, (laughs) this is kind of funny, but it just so happened that it fell on the book of Matthew um, 18.22 that says, Jesus says we should forgive those who sinned against us, not once or twice, but 70 times 7. And that spoke volumes to me. Um, And then after your teaching on forgiveness, Sarah and I had chatted for a while because that was something I didn't think I could do. Um, That was a really huge deal. So after... A little help from God and a little help from Sarah, I was able to take that step. Um, and then after doing that, God or Sarah wasn't about to let me fall to the wayside. Um, she talked me into joining her small group, which was extraordinary. Those are the best group of people, and I love them immensely. Um, a few weeks later, Sarah helped me to accept Jesus. As Lord. Okay. 
Well, awesome. Well, this cool forgiveness piece happens in your life. It's like this freedom that you didn't have before. And uh, then you're able to kind of move and your friend leads you into a relationship with Christ. And um, then at that point, I know, Sarah, you walked across this room and it like it actually worked. You know what I mean? And it didn't happen overnight. It took, you know, years of praying and that kind of thing. Um, but then something really cool happened about a month ago. And so can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, first of all, being the person to actually lead Jamie to accept Christ um, through prayer was really amazing and really intimidating, too. Um, I was real sure that I was going to screw that up, but um, God held my hand and I held hers and he kind of gave me the words. Well, God, and I have an app on my cell phone, too, that helped. But um, the next awesome experience was seeing Jamie get baptized out of Prairie Creek. Um, It was a great day. Um, I cried. And just thank God that he gave me the courage to get out of my comfort zone and walk into the zone of the unknown. um, Because Jamie's life's really been changed for eternity. And, uh, Jamie, what was that day like for you, and uh, how's your life kind of changed since then? That day was amazing, um, one of the best days of my life. All of my children, all of my children were there, and as I walked back up onto the beach, each one of them hugged me and told me how proud they were of me, and that was a huge deal for our family. Um, I was really made a new person that day. Um, my life is more peaceful, much more peaceful. And God has gave me the patience to help me to not sweat the small stuff. And um, I am so grateful to God and to Sarah for never giving up on me. <laughs> wow. Hey, l- let's give these guys a hand. What a cool story. So here's the question I want you guys to ponder. What would happen if you did what Sarah did and you left your comfort zone and went into the zone of the unknown? Could you possibly change a a person's eternal destiny? Could you change, she just said, all of her family was there. Could you help to change an entire person's family? By just taking a few small steps towards someone who may be going towards a Christless eternity. I mean, just think about that. Just 10 steps or 15 steps or 20 steps and you see that kind of transformation. The Bible says this. Let's read it together. It'll come up on the side screen. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. You know, I've learned that when my eyes are focused on faith and not fear, I leave comfort zones much easier and I walk across 
different places into the zone of the unknown. And friends, if you desire a relationship with Jesus and you're growing with him, eventually he's going to ask you to walk across a factory floor or a lunchroom or your neighborhood to connect with someone who doesn't know him. And sometimes it'll be when you have tons of time and you can do whatever, and sometimes it'll be when your schedule is insane. But wherever, whenever, that's the way God works. But this is what I'm convinced of. When Christ followers stop taking walks across rooms, when Christ followers just say, you know what, we're going to stay glued to our comfort zone, the day that Christ followers choose that more than anything else, the kingdom of God is dead. It's lights out for the kingdom of God. So my question is, are you willing to start taking some walks sometimes? You don't have to do it all the time, but sometimes from comfort zones to the zone of the unknown. The second way that we kind of experience the single greatest gift to give to someone is we listen for the Holy Spirit's promptings. We listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings. Now, at this point, you might be saying, what's that mean? What does that mean to listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings? Well, in order for us to be effective in the zone of the unknown, we must be led by the Holy Spirit. And you might be saying, well, what's the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, maybe in worship or when you're praying, but all of a sudden maybe you start crying, and you're not a crier. You're like, why is this happening? Or you feel a goosebump in some part uh, of worship. Or maybe all of a sudden you feel this real, like, conviction to go and do something. Or maybe, you know, you just feel like, wow, I need to, you know, make a change in this area of my life. You see, when Jesus died, and then he rose again, and he ascended to heaven, he said, before I leave you in physical body, I want you to know that I'm going to leave my spirit here who will comfort you, who will care for you, who will give you peace, who will encourage you also to walk across rooms. And life works better, folks, when we're listening to God's spirit rather than our own flesh. Now, before you get the wrong idea of what you think this looks like, let me tell you that being available to the movement of the Holy Spirit doesn't always work out the way that you think it might. In the Bible, there's a story about a guy by the name of Elijah. He was a pastor, and he spoke on behalf of God. Now, I think a lot of people have a false idea about pastors. I think a lot of people think that we are these spiritual superstars. We are like the NFL players that will play today in the spiritual realm. That we are in the top tier, that God has like this direct line that goes right into our heads, and we hear from Him, and we know how to do that every single time. But it doesn't work that way, folks. And let's look at Elijah's story and how it was different. The Bible says this. One day, the Lord said to Elijah, Go stand on the mountain at the attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains 
and shattered the rocks before God. But God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, what's it say? A gentle and quiet whisper. Now at first, Elijah is like on this mountain. He's been giving his life to God. And he's like, God's going to speak to me. I know it's coming. And all of a sudden, this hurricane wind comes. And he's like, that's where God's got to be. He's got to be in the hurricane. But God wasn't in the hurricane. And then all of a sudden, he says, oh, the the ground starts to shake and the earth is trembling. He's like, oh, the earthquake. That's where God's at. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And then all of a sudden, a fire comes. And they're like, oh. Elijah's like, oh, God's got to be in the fire. But he wasn't in the fire. And finally, it was just a quiet, gentle whisper. And that, folks, is how I found God speaks to me more than any other way. In my life, folks, whispers have been extremely important. In fact, when it comes to my whole spiritual life, where I have had most impact is when I've obeyed these small little whispers. It's my evangelism key. Now, I've heard about evangelists who get on a plane and, like, they go to California, and by the time that they get there, you know, they've converted every single person on the plane. Like, they all know Jesus. When I get on planes, usually people move to another seat. That doesn't work with me. But whispers, folks, and walking across rooms have. A couple years ago, I was at a library time with my youngest daughter, Shiloh. We were at the Kennedy Library uh, here in town. And for a half hour, the librarian reads books and they do songs, and that's it. And that was kind of our bonding time. And we're sitting there when all of a sudden I felt this prompting, not audibly, but just in my spirit that said, go over there and introduce yourself to this woman who had a small kid. And I was like, I don't want to do that, God. She's going to think I'm hitting on her, you know. I don't want to do that. And God's like, bunch, just walk. And so I walked over there, and I introduced myself to her, and she said, hey, my name's, uh, my name's Chris. She, I go, what's your name? And she said, my name's Ashley. And I said, oh, this is my daughter, Shiloh. And she's like, oh, this is my little boy, Devin. And we just kind of connected. And uh, I played with Devin and Shiloh a little bit, and we looked at some books together. And we did that every Tuesday. We would connect with them. Well, my wife, Jennifer, eventually met Ashley as well, and they connected, and they knew each other really well. I totally forgot her son's name. So every time we'd go to the library, I'd like, hey, Ashley, how are you? And I'd go, hey, buddy. You know? Like, if you hear people calling your kids buddy, you know what that means? They don't know your kid's name. Well, one day, after forgetting their names, I just took a post-it note, and I wrote down Ashley and Devin, and I put it in my glove box, and I prayed for them that day. And uh, I'd love to say that I was so holy that I prayed every day, but I did Very, very sporadically. But each Tuesday, I just built a friendship. Well, last year, I'm up here teaching, and I look down, and Jesse, 
her husband, who I didn't know, and Ashley and their son Devin are sitting here. And I get ready to walk out, and I walk out, and people are leaving. I'm like, hey, she's like, you're the library guy. I'm like, yeah, that's me, you know? And we connected. We talked a little bit more. And I actually knew her son's name by then. And Jennifer and I, on that day, we committed to praying for Jesse and Ashley and Devin every single night with our girls, and we did. And we prayed and we prayed and we invited them over for a cookout. And one day, we had a bowling event. And so it's always great to invite your friends who are disconnected from Christ to events that go on here at the jar because it's a way for them to go and they don't have to feel like the big Sunday pressure. And so we went to this bowling event, and we walk into the bowling alley, and literally the first six alleys, I knew every single person. Comfort zones, folks. Comfort zones. And Jennifer and I walked by every single comfort zone, and we went to where Ashley and Jesse and Devin were by themselves, and we started bowling. Well, Jennifer leaves me. And she starts talking to Ashley like they're old girlfriend. You know, women just have that way. And they're like all talking, everything's good. And I'm with this guy. I know his name's Jesse. That's it. And we're bowling. And we just keep bowling and bowling. And you know, that's what guys do. You do something so you don't have to talk, you know? It's like my wife. She's like, well, you went to the Colts game today. How'd it go? I was like, it was great. She goes, well, how's so-and-so? I don't know. We didn't talk. We just don't talk, you know? So we're bowling away, and we just keep bowling, we keep bowling. And finally, he gets ready to go up and bowl, and right before he bowls, I go, man, you're a great bowler. Now, if you're a female right now, that doesn't mean much, but if you're a guy right now, you're like, that's a stupid thing to say. (laughs) He gets up, he bowls, it goes in the gutter. So we start talking more, and we start connecting more. And all of a sudden, he just opens up to me, and this is what he said. He said, man, all this God stuff is new to me. We went to church, and we tried a few, and we went to this one church, and at the end of it, 15 people came up to me, and they tried to lay their hands on me, and they started praying for me. And he said, it really freaked me out. And he said, but I didn't do anything. I just felt guilty ever since then. And so I told him, I said, man, don't feel guilty. I said, and when you're at the jar, no one's going to put their hands on you or do something that, you know, you don't want. And he said, but I'm not very emotional. I said, God isn't always emotional. God is about the head and the heart. And all of a sudden, Jesse got it. Well, Jesse and Ashley and Devin, they've continued to come regularly. And uh, around Easter... We don't do this very often, but I just felt a prompting that I should invite people who had never connected with Christ at all to make a commitment to him that they would come up forward and and I would pray for him. And I'll never forget it, because it happened right over in this area, that all of a sudden I saw Jesse and Ashley stand up holding Devin, and they walked down here, and they said, today's the day. And I didn't put my hands on them and do some big old thing. I just prayed for them in that moment that the one who knows them best, folks, and the one who loves them most would be the center 
of their family. And now Jesse and Ashley, they're talking about getting baptized. And uh, all of that happened, folks, with just one small walk across a library floor thinking, God, I want to be cool, not a fool. Now, I want you to know that some of you are sitting there right now and you're saying to yourself, I don't, I don't know. That sounds like a super spiritual star thing, you know, to, to kind of do that. I mean, I'm not so much into that. I can't do that. But I just want you to know that if you're thinking that right now, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Walking across the room, folks, is something that every single person in this place can do. This is something that you can decide to do and learn how to do. And over the next three weeks, what I'm going to be teaching about is how to encourage you and to teach you of how to get out of comfort zones and walk across places to connect with people who are in the zone of the unknown. For some of you, though, you might be sitting there and say, well, why should I do that? I mean, why should I have to walk? I mean, Why should I have to leave my comfort settings and walk across rooms? Why should I have to leave that and go into the zone of the unknown? And the simple answer is this, folks. Because Jesus walked across a room for you. In fact, Jesus didn't just walk across the room. He walked across the cosmos. He left heaven. He took on human flesh and he walked across the universe, to let you know that you're loved. In fact, the scripture says this. Jesus, he, Jesus, always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all that he had, and he took the nature of a servant. He became a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience All the way to death. His death on the cross. See, you and I don't understand this. But do you know where the ultimate circle of comfort is? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The presence of God. And Jesus has experienced that from the beginning of time. And now all of a sudden, he says... His father asked him, can you take a walk? And Jesus says, yeah, I'll take the walk. And it wasn't just any ordinary walk, but it was a walk that came across all of earth and said, I'm going to die on a cross for every single person here. And why did he walk like that? Why did he do this? Well, the Bible says this. Let's read it together. It'll come up on the side screen. But God has shown us how much he loves us. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. Jesus walked because of his great love for us. Jesus walked because of his great love for each one of you. Because of that walk, folks, your sins are forgiven. You have a life worth living. You have a home in heaven. And until we see him face to face in heaven, he says this, what I did, I want you to do. I want you to walk away 
from circles of comfort, just when I tell you, not when Pastor Chris tells you, not when someone else tells you, but when my spirit prompts you, I want you to walk across a room or a factory floor or your neighborhood to introduce yourself and build friendships with people who are disconnected from God. And that's our final point, folks, that I want to give you. This is your challenge this week. It's real easy. Just walk. Just walk. And over the next month, I'm going to try to teach and train and encourage and help you guys to just walk. We're going to learn this together. And I want to get better at it. I'm still anxious sometimes. I want to get better of leaving my comfort zone and walking across rooms into the zone of the unknown. And I'm telling you folks that if you will make a commitment over these next three weeks that are coming up and you say, you know what, I want to get better at this. You're going to get better. And we're going to have fun and you're going to grow and it's going to be a ball. Do you believe it? All right, let's stand for closing prayer. And if you'd like prayer for anything, after the celebration, our prayer team will be up here, and uh, they'll be on the sides, and so um, please feel free to come up and pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we can't thank you enough for what your son Jesus did by leaving heaven to come to earth. That he left this circle of comfort and he trudged across the cosmos and he took on human flesh and he died on a cross so that all of our sins, every sin here, God, people who walked in here today who felt heavy because of something they did, that today, God, you want to forgive them of that. And thank you so much, Jesus, for taking that walk. Because without it, I can't even imagine what my life or the lives of the people who are here this morning would be like. And God, now it's time for us to take a walk. This week, when we work, when we drop our kids off at school, when we're at our kids' activities, when we're in our neighborhood that we would simply take walks and we would believe that you will supernaturally act as we do that. I pray, God, that you would open the hearts of people in this place today by the power of your Holy Spirit to just walk across rooms and be willing to leave circle of comfort for the zone of the unknown. God, I pray for every single person here that you would convict them this week of being a walk-across-the-room kind of person so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. If you're here for the first time, Guest Connections is right there. And check it out. Have a good week, everyone. Thanks.